if diagnoses grew on trees, you know, I, I would I would have an orchard. But that was beautiful. <laughs> How long did you practice that? Uh, that's all I was saying over and over in the car on the way here. <laughs> Hi friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. I'm trying out a new tagline, in case you didn't notice. I was on someone's podcast the other day and I used it just out of the blue and they liked it so much they said I should try it out for real. So yeah, all I know is it's fewer words to say and I'm a big fan of that. Um, Welcome, my name is Christina, your host, and... This is like the fifth time I've been trying to record this because I'm currently in the middle of a group chat with my family. Uh, We we came to the conclusion that out of all nine of us, seven of us are moving in the next month. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I'm moving from Seattle to Virginia. Uh, My brother Andrew is moving to Guam for the Coast Guard. My sister Caroline is changing careers and moving in with my parents for a little bit. Uh, I have another brother who's getting married, another brother who's just all over the place. And then my two youngest sisters are getting a place together. One of them is in Alaska. The other one's in Virginia. We're all moving to the same area in Virginia. It's pretty crazy. And also don't feel like you have to keep track of all that because I don't even know what my siblings are doing half the time. Uh, I used to give my parents shit for like getting our names wrong as kids, and now I totally get it. It happens. Um, yeah, it's exciting to be moving, but it's also bittersweet, obviously. My time in Seattle has been really difficult, but it's also been rewarding. I've met a lot of great people and made some connections, and just I've never enjoyed a place geographically as much as I have Seattle. It's truly the most beautiful place I've ever lived. I found myself going on walks through the neighborhood and wondering, oh, is this the last time I'll see this or or do this or taste this? I just want to do all the things. But because I'm trying to do all the things, I'm not paying enough t- attention to the other stuff like packing and getting rid of stuff, uh, seeing people that I want to see. It's just kind of a mess but I'm dealing with it it's fine I just want to fast forward the next two months and just start my new life already but I also recognize that that's kind of a toxic place to come from because I have a history of trying to escape my problems by moving somewhere new Uh, it's not uncommon many of you probably do it too Um, I, I wrote a Facebook post about it a few weeks ago and uh, I think I said that when I moved to Seattle I felt like I was escaping something but now that I'm leaving Seattle I feel like I'm chasing something and I'm just gonna try to focus on the positives. Today's episode is a fun one. Holy crap. Also I haven't said holy crap since I was like a 12 year old in church. What is wrong with me? Um, I interview my ex-boyfriend, Andrew Stevens. It was definitely a first for me. I mean, I'm friends with most of my exes because I generally try to choose to be with people that I enjoy, even after we break up. 
Uh, but I've never had anyone on the podcast before. So he is the first person that I have dated to be on the podcast. And it's just a really good conversation. It's a little awkward at first. There's some laughs. Yeah, I'm not going to ruin any of it, but I'm really excited for y'all to listen. Um, my mental health has not been the greatest. In fact, today was a pretty bad day. As much as I like to joke around and talk about positive things, I think it's just as important to talk about the negative things I'm feeling. I'm feeling really anxious and overwhelmed about moving. I still need to sell or donate most of my stuff. I don't know for certain what vehicle I'm going to be driving across the country yet. And I'm getting broker by the day because my unemployment checks stopped coming. But the benefit to that is that next week I start training for my new job, which is super exciting. I know it'll all be okay. Like, good things are happening. I just... It's really hard for me to see the big picture sometimes. And... Do you ever just second guess every one of your decisions? Like, I'm I'm almost 29. I'll be 29 next week. And I, I can't even decide what movie to watch on Netflix, let alone where to move or what job to do. It's just paralyzing. And I know moving to Virginia is the right move for me right now. But as is my style, I... <sighs> have been finding lots of reasons to doubt myself and that decision in the last few weeks. Um, I've been making some new friends, some cool new connections, having a lot of adventures, and part of me is like, maybe you shouldn't leave. What, what would happen if you stayed here? But I think that way of thinking can be really dangerous. It's kind of like online dating, right? Like you'll find someone that you really click with, but there's a part of you that really just wants to keep looking because something better might be out there. You might have this amazing person in your life, but just knowing that there's something better out there it kind of fucks with your head. And I feel like the same way, like I have a perfectly decent job in Virginia waiting for me, perfectly decent apartment. I'll be close to all my family. I'll be able to save money. And yet, part of me is asking myself, well, okay, what what are you giving up by moving? It's just an endless feedback loop, and it's exhausting. And I'm just so tired of not trusting myself. I just, I feel like at this point in my life, things should come more easily, at least decisions should become easier. I don't know. This is all kind of bullshit because everyone is an overgrown child who doesn't know what they're doing, as we've established before on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, You all, I just, I'm tired and (sighs) life is so crazy. That's all I'm going to say. Life is crazy. Uh, With that said, (laughs) I'm just going to give you my interview with my ex before you turn this off completely. I will be here again next week with a new episode. Hopefully I won't be as much of a mess and I'll be able to give you some more exciting updates. Until then, stay cool, stay safe, and enjoy the show. 
This is really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Are, are we doing the podcast yeah, now? Yeah, we're doing oh, yeah, it. I, I mean, guess usually when I listen to the podcast, like I hear like the intro bit and I forgot that, that that's recorded separately. So now we're in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I am here on my tiny couch with Andrew Stevens. That's me. My ex-boyfriend. Yep. Special episode. Yeah. Uh, put in a, a an air horn there, please. <laughs> Um, Andrew is a writer and a mental health advocate, and I respect him a lot, and I'm really happy that we're still friends. But today we're going to be talking about his mental health journey and, like, our thing that happened. Our <laughs> thing that happened. It makes it sound like a, an atomic bomb that was dropped somewhere. <laughs> I mean, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't think so. Not, there's not that much damage. <laughs> okay, you know what? It's all metaphorical. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What? <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> oh my god, I suck at this. You need... <laughs> What's your experience, like, tell us a little bit about, like, your childhood experience. <laughs> Stop laughing at me! Do you want to do that again? What do you want to <laughs> no, start? No, 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 I just meant, like... What do you... <laughs> this is how, I was afraid the, it would go like yeah, this. Yeah, it's, it's all right. It's, it's okay, it's, it's, it's going to be, be little, fun. Yeah, no, of course it's going to be a little weird. Yeah. Um, okay, do, did you want to, like, ask me? Are we... I just, don't know no. how... Do you like, what... What do you want to talk about today? Because I mean, I'm obviously bad at asking you questions. I can't do this to save my life. So, like, Andrew, what would you like to talk about? Well, it, it is your interview podcast, so I'll go any direction that you would like me to. But, you know, yeah, I got... Yeah, but you're really good at taking over conversations. <laughs> that's because I got a lot to say. Exactly. That's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> um, so say something. <laughs> am I not saying things at this moment? Um... I don't know my childhood experience is that uh, in in mental men, my mental health uh, scenario growing up is that what we're, we're well I usually start by asking people how mental health was approached growing up in their household and I already know this about you but the guests don't so well, in fair. a nutshell a yeah they don't know anything about you you could be just like some, some dude. dude I assume that's kind of the case with any guest that that's on the show. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I, like, let's see, I got a whole litany of disorders. I've got, uh, I've been officially diagnosed, well, diagnoses, uh, if diagnoses grew on trees, you know, I, I would, I would have an orchard, but. That was beautiful. <laughs> How long did you practice that? Uh, that's all I was saying over and over in the car on the way here. <laughs> um, no, but for real, so, uh. I did not have a family that talked very much about mental health, and that is part of why I am a person who talks a lot about mental health. That and the fact that I've had depression uh, pretty much my whole life, and anxiety on top of that. Uh, I've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, 
uh, persistent depressive disorder. I had one therapist say antisocial personality disorder, but all of the rest have disagreed vehemently. So I'm not so sure. Yeah, about you that don't. One. That doesn't really sound like you. And then uh, in the past few years, I've I've learned um, unofficially, but because it's hard to get an official diagnosis, that I very likely suffer from or live with, I think is the correct term, uh, nonverbal learning disorder. And that's kind of, it's, it's, some say it's on the autism spectrum or at least in the autism ballpark. Um, there's, but it's also uh, kind of viewed as a learning disability, similarly to dyslexia or dyscalculia. Uh, dyscalculia. But basically, it's like a visual spatial learning disorder, and that affects me in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, um, when I met you, I had no idea what that was, but I quickly learned that you are not a visual person. Fair I would, so. I would point out like a house I liked or something, or like something <laughs> someone was wearing, and I would be like, "Oh, that's so pretty," and Andrew would just be like. I literally don't care. <laughs> I, I believe you. I believe that that you, if you say so, then yes, it is. But I would for not someone be able to for judge someone it. who doesn't really notice that kind of stuff. You are a very colorful person. I think that might be why, because <laughs> you know, I I was so repressed and assuming that I had to be the to to follow in the suburban wear plaid and and button-ups kind of mindset have your short haircut and your I don't know like nine to five style because I'd never really examined my own style I grew up without ever even thinking to do so because of nonverbal learning disorder and once I realized oh wait like you can express yourself like in the way that you look like I went hardcore in the other direction <laughs> and grew a mullet painted my nails and I don't know. We're in a psychedelics t-shirt, yeah. one of the many in your collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I got bolder, and it took a while for me to get to that level, I guess. But um, what you might have like explained it a little bit before, but what is your like the nonverbal learning disorder? Is that what it is? Yeah. Like, I was really uneducated about it, so most people are like, like I've I've <laughs> I've tried finding books on the subject. I've read one independently published book um, that was kind of sort of a memoir and sort of not really it was sort of like guiding guidelines to, to living with it but yeah it's it's a it's not in the DSM-5 it's debated whether or not it should be in the next edition it's I didn't the, know that um, but it, it's unclear whether it's related to autism, whether it's just more learning disability, whether it is a form of autism. It's really uncertain because there's a lot of crossover. Um, things that are really common are, are difficulties with motor skills. Your gross and fine motor skills are both impacted by it. So mm -hmm. I can't, uh, I've never been able to hold a pencil properly or fold a piece of paper in half. Wait, what? Uh, I, I can't do it. Like, it is a struggle. I just, it doesn't doesn't make sense to me and um, it, it makes it difficult for me to follow visual instructions and uh, so I was I was really smart kid growing up and I was always the first to finish tests but I was the last kid in my entire grade to learn how to tie his shoes I just couldn't figure out how to do it and same with riding a bike it's just a, a lot of things that people kind of learn to pick up visually are completely blank to me and I also have uh, uh, aphantasia is, is very common with uh, a nonverbal learning disorder, and that's 
basically when you don't have a mind's eye. Like what, what I only really learned very recently is that most people can close their eyes and visualize something. You can think of a color and you see it in front of you. He's closing his eyes and, as he speaks. <laughs> and when I do it, it's just my eyelids. I literally, I've never been able to visualize anything. And it blew my mind realizing that when people are literally like, imagine your happy place, they're literally imagining a happy place and not like the idea of their happy place. So it's it's the kind of thing where it, it affects you in a lot of ways uh, in how you learn, in how you interact with the world. It's really common for, for folks with nonverbal learning disorder to have social skill difficulties, which is part of how it gets confused with autism sometimes um, on account of like we have difficulty making eye contact sometimes, but it's more of not knowing where to look or mm. we don't necessarily pick up on the little body language cues that everybody else seem or not everybody else but you know the, the average person seems like they're more able to pick up on and uh that, that can make you socially awkward it often doesn't help if you're physically awkward as well which is usually the, usually we're not good at sports because we don't have hand-eye coordination so <laughs> sorry i just pictured you playing sports right? and it was funny it's uh <laughs> I, I actually just uh, took a haul of of stuff from my mom's house the other day and i dismantled my my one and only t-ball trophy that I got second place for and Whoa. I remember being in left field and literally spinning around in circles because <laughs> I didn't care what was going on and not paying attention yet we still won second place so it must have been a pretty good team wow I'm shook <laughs> um so tell me what is your happy place Andrew what is my happy place uh, I mean, I'm partially joking, but for with real, my face on my cat, honestly, <laughs> listening to him purr. Oh yeah, how have you not mentioned the little peppers yet? I just did. Okay, <laughs> it's, okay. We're we're only we're we're what 15 minutes into recording. You should have you should have just come right out at the beginning and been like, "Hi, I'm Andrew Stevens. I'm a cat dad." You didn't ask me to explain who I was. <laughs> we oh, just I didn't. In. You're right. <laughs> this is a first for me, y'all. I am making it up as I go. And I don't think I could do this with anyone but Andrew, because, uh, I don't know, you're just easy to be friends with. Like We have a foundation of being able to talk openly about ourselves, and I think that's probably good for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot of shit that went down when we were together, and um, it just wasn't good timing. I always tell people, like, I had a whole-ass relationship in the middle of the pandemic, like we and started dating during COVID and we stopped, we broke up during COVID. Yeah. And, and really like, I wouldn't say like a whole lot of shit. Well, I mean, yes, like it was, it, it, but, but really when I, when I say a whole, when I think like a whole lot of shit went down, it's more like we lived through the fucking nightmare of COVID. <laughs> well, we, yes. Like, fuck. like every shit that went down was related to that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, do you want to, I don't even know how to start. Where were you at, like, mentally when we met? Oh, that is a really interesting question. When we met, so March 2020, everybody knows what happens when, when March 2020 hit. That was a couple months before we met. Uh, my mom had just entered the mental hospital for the third time. Uh, she has kind of a crippling anxiety issue that, that only came up when she divorced my dad in her... Uh, uh, when she was about 60 um, and she's been hospitalized now thrice so so I was already kind of feeling 
that that was that was a hard start to sudden total isolation being a person who lives alone with his cat and was working from home i it was true and utter isolation you um, used to work downtown in one of those high rises like yeah, yeah take yeah. the bus every day yeah I, I used to be big city boy and i was around people all the time and going to bars all the time and suddenly and you know just seeing friends and yeah uh suddenly you know completely isolated uh, i'd really gotten upset with my mom as she had gone into the the mental hospital this time around because she it had uh, largely occurred from from her stopping her meds without talking to a doctor about it and not continuing with therapy so she didn't have any strategies to to deal with uh, the anxiety when it came back uh, it's really so, hard to help someone who doesn't want to help themselves yeah or who doesn't take action to help themselves right? yeah it's 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 a really difficult thing and and so um i i think i had started we you and i met um around i think we started talking on bumble in what may it was may because i had just uh i had spent the first six weeks of quarantine in virginia with my family uh, and then I came back to Seattle and the lockdown had ended, but it was still a really, everything was still closed. You had to wear yeah. masks everywhere. So people were kind of venturing out, but not really. It was a weird time. Yeah. And I was very much not venturing out because I, I, I've been, I'd been following the, like the science closely and reading the news very, very, very closely. You were very, you were like, I, I mean, I, I work from home at a computer and I have a lot of downtime and I had during a time like this I had nothing to do but consume information and I and go on the and, apps and, and yeah I got plenty you know I also have a fucking anxiety disorder <laughs> <laughs> so I was constantly like trying to be hyper aware of this crazy uh, I hate the word but unprecedented thing that was going on um, uh, so I think around the time we met uh, I had started to repair things with my mom. Uh, she had gotten out of the mental hospital, um, or had been for for uh, a little while, I think. Um, and uh, uh, I had also decided to stop smoking weed um, because right. at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, and even before then, I was smoking weed every day for a very, very long time—months and months and months—with uh, you know breaks here and there. But I've I've been. Uh, I would consider myself a pothead, or, you know, I mean, a pot addict, uh, cannabis addict, I guess is the fancy term. Um, uh, and uh, I have been for, for a good long time. It's, I'm a high-functioning one, but an addict nonetheless. And I was taking a, an indefinite break that I didn't, hadn't given definition to at the time. And, and um, I think when we finally met in person... Um, I had kind of started. You threw I, out your bong. Yeah, I, I had thrown out my old bong, and and eventually I, you know, got more comfortable getting back into it again. Yeah, because we like I wanted to smoke still, and yeah, I and was very fair, and also you know I realized I had done all the productive things I could do. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain point during the pandemic that you just kind of gave up and let yourself do nothing. Like, it's really interesting thinking about moving forward in the future like how people are gonna study this and like look at it how it affected how us. it affected us if you're from the future listening to this hi also we're all fucked up yeah i don't think there's gonna they're not gonna have radios 10 years from now the whole world is have not the, to the ground this is not <laughs> do you know how podcasts work eh, i have an idea you listen to podcasts on the radio yeah 
<laughs> what? Podcast radio. It's a thing. No, it's not. I don't believe you. Um, okay, so yeah, we met. We dated a little bit. It was <laughs> fun. And all along, though, like, we were only, like, we were only seeing each other. Yeah. We couldn't see, like, I was seeing Connor, and that's it. Yeah, no, like, I, I mean. you weren't seeing your friends. Very rarely. It, and, you know, that's, uh, it's hard for somebody that you met in, uh, in, during a pandemic to be the foundation of your life, to, of the only social interaction that you have. It's a lot of pressure to put yeah. on somebody who. You don't know what you guys are going to be like. You don't know if you get along with each other's friends. You don't know if you're going to like going to the same places or like leading the same lifestyle because all you're doing is hanging out at home. And like, It's a lot. It's, it gets pretty heavy. Like I am the kind of person who likes to like constantly be up and going and doing things and have, have a plan. Um, and then you... I like to... to like have plans as well but I have a lot more comfort with downtime and uh, honestly years and years of depression I was just about to say like for, the depression had a lot to do with yeah, it yeah de depression had kind of trained me to be okay with I isolating and staying at home especially if I was smoking a lot of weed but uh, uh, it doesn't necessarily make it easy for a relationship <laughs> especially when and, and yeah I mean like I I, I you know don't come wrong I like to go and do stuff but i i am a homebody on on one level and we couldn't really even see like what to what degree i was a home actually a homebody it within yeah. within covid it, it more just seems like okay well all we have to do is nothing so <laughs> i guess we'll keep doing that let's watch <laughs> hbo and order food from mm -hmm. a different restaurant it's like it gets pretty old and we weren't the only ones going through that, you know, like no. it was hard on a lot of people. A lot of people moved during COVID. A lot of mm -hmm. people broke up. A lot of people had babies. Yeah. Yeah. I got like, married. I know people who got, I know people who got married. I know people who had babies, who moved away, who entered relationships and ended relationships. And, and you know, it's such a weird time. And and yet. Yeah. And even weirder, we're not seeing really what's going on with our friends or the people that we normally talk to unless you're you're in one of those folks who's in constant contact with mm. someone on a Zoom call. I know that we all kind of like at least my friend group got kind of fucking tired of it up by the yeah. end of the winter. We were just like, uh, we're not seeing each other, but we're not Zooming either. <laughs> we're just like, this isn't the same. We're tired of of having to watch two people have a conversation while the rest of us sit around waiting for an, a time to to speak you know that's true just, that, yeah, that sucks it wasn't good for friend groups and and yeah I'll, I'll, it, it affected yeah it affected a lot of people in a lot of ways yeah i mean Obviously. and eventually i met your friend group and like it was such a weird summer. Like we had all those, we had the smoke, like the um, the wildfires. Yep. Like downtown Seattle looked like a hellscape. It was like hard to breathe, um, and that was in the middle of COVID. And I, I don't remember when. Here's a question: When did you think? Do you think our relationship started becoming a stressor? Probably. Uh, once we, we got into the fall and the winter and it became even harder to like go out and see friends at all and it was literally you know just you and me and we you know I, I remember you saying like 
that the romance was gone because all we were doing was sitting around in pajamas. We had skipped over what seems like you would do 15 years down the line yeah. in a relationship without having any of the, I don't know, but, and we, we also didn't have like a bunch of fun memories together because we couldn't. <laughs> We literally couldn't make any. Remember uh, when we went to that Thai restaurant for yeah, the fifth time? It's, and it's like, you know, we, we, we could occasionally have like a really great day, but it yeah. was it's wasn't as often enough as you'd want in a developing relationship. And so I think the, that things started to become a stressor in, in the winter. And I think both of our mental health started to decline pretty I, rapidly then. I think when I met you, I was... I was definitely binging and purging in Virginia before I came. And then there was a time when I met you that I stopped, I think. So when we met, when we met in person, the reason that we met in person, that we were willing to break COVID. <gasps> oh my God. Oh because my God. we, we dated video style for weeks for like a long, yeah. almost a weeks. month, maybe like, like, because maybe could it? Yeah. Yeah. Something like a month. Oh my God. Because... I forgot about this. I think we talked on Bumble for a couple weeks, yeah. and then we talked on video for a month before we even met up, because we didn't really know what was okay. I didn't know it was okay, and I didn't know when to let somebody in, in, but the reason that we met up was because you were going to go away to rehab for bulimia, for, uh, and you didn't know for how long, or if they'd take your phone, or if you would be able to continue things, and, and so we decided, you know, fuck it, it's June 1st. Uh, was uh, it exactly June 1st? I, believe, I think it was June 1st, and, and there was some sort of new COVID change in what we were allowed to do. Very, It was the very tiniest, like maybe the first phase four or something. Yeah. I, I, I can't even exactly, or I, I mean, not so, phase four, phase one. Uh, I don't know. But, one but of the phases. Something had shifted very slightly, and, and you were going, going away like the next day, and yeah. you didn't know for how long, so we decided to meet up. And Basically, and, my therapist... Was like, I was seeing a new online therapist, and she, when she heard about my binging and purging, she refused to see me because I was at risk of cardiac arrest, and she was like, you need to go to treatment. It was very strange. Like, she didn't even know me, and she, anyway, I went to the ER and stayed there for, like, hours and mm -hmm. hours. I remember it being, like, a seven-hour day. Yeah, it was, and they, they took my blood, they took, they did labs, and then they were like, your labs are all normal, you can go. Yeah, Even they, though I said I was having suicidal thoughts. Yeah, they checked your BM, BMI as fucking useless as that is. And then they yeah. checked your blood and they were like, everything's good. It doesn't matter that this is a hor horrifying problem that's been affecting you for 14 years. And it's even worse right now. Like, doesn't matter. doesn't matter that you're having suicidal ideation. They just let you go because I you, was... you weren't the right weight or you weren't the right. I was so emotional that day. Not only that, but like. You that know, was like what the day after that we met up. Yes, mm -hmm. I had seen met you for the first time, and you know that was exciting. But then I had this happen the next day, and then I had to like go back and text you and be like, "Just kidding, I'm not going away." Like that yeah. was weird. And, I, I didn't want to do you that. Felt really invalidated by the whole experience, and it didn't really set make... us off on a great note. Well, yeah, <laughs> and it, it made you not feel particularly eager about seeking help again, understandably, yeah. at that time. And yeah, I didn't seek help again at all when, when we were together, and, and I think that's a big problem. Yeah, and I had kind of said at the very beginning of a relationship how important it was to me that you were pursuing help, but yeah. I, you know, of course, like, as COVID was going on, like, you have to make, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
compromises there. Like, That's I couldn't really thing. expect you to be doing your absolute best or working your hardest toward toward getting better in the middle of quarantine. <laughs> That's something we could talk about is, like, at what, like, obviously everyone deserves love. Mm-hmm. But there's also a point where you need to work on yourself before you should be with someone else. So, like, you are mentally ill. I am mentally ill. We are both amazing people who deserve love. But also we have all these issues that would prop, would could turn a relationship sour. Like, that's what happened with us. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's important to be working on it. Yeah. And, and what's difficult is that, and I've... I've thought for the longest time that working on it is so non-specific and I've dated people before who like you can call you'd call them and you would, did not do this but someone that you, you would call them out on uh, on something that they'd done and, and like a behavior of theirs that they repeated and they'd be like I'm working on it but they weren't they they were just aware of it and that's not the same you know there, there, there are a good number of folks out there who have gotten to the very first step in their mental health journey, which is becoming aware of the problem or even becoming aware of why there is a problem. Yeah. But there's more to it than that. You know, it, it's it's that that mantra I stolen from from last podcast on the left, uh, uh, that mental health is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. I, I have quoted I quoted you <laughs> that saying Marcus that Parks from from last podcast. Yeah, that, that, that says it over and over. I mean, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're with anyone, like, I don't think you should not date someone just because Mm-mm. they have a mental illness. Not at all. No, definitely But not. they should be assuming some sort of responsibility for it. Um, but that's hard because, like, it looks different for every person. Yeah. And I also think that if you're going, like, I think that's part of why it's, impor- A, important to be open and vulnerable about what is going on in, in your life mental health-wise, especially with a partner. and. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that can sometimes make it harder to find someone who's willing to take that on, whatever that may be. Um, but also, it's it's the hiding and it's it's hiding yeah. things and, and holding back that can really turn into problems. And I did hide stuff. I did start hiding stuff from you. Mm-hmm. You said you'd done the same with your previous relationship. Yeah, I mean, I was eating when I was with you. I would eat normally, then I would go home and binge and purge. Or, like, I would take a bunch of Benadryl before I met you just so I could feel, like, I don't know, pleasant. So I would be in a pleasant mood. I, it, it's so fucked up. Like, it's, I don't think I ever told you that part. You, you did. Okay. It, it, it's, and I don't think it's, like, I mean, like, it's not good, but it's not so fucked up. It's not like you, like, we're all just trying to do whatever we could to get by. And sometimes you flit, like, during this weird fucking bizarre time where you're just trying to, like, have a good day with your significant other, like, you flail and you you reach out for things that maybe aren't necessarily going to help with that, but you've convinced yourself that they have, and and it's pretty understandable, honestly. I don't think it's all that fucked up. Thank you. It sucks. It does suck. (laughs) It really sucked. Like, things really, really started to suck for us, and, yeah, I mean... I feel like nothing big happened. No, it just no kind of fizzled event. out. We we were just both clearly unhappy. We'd both been depressed for a long time. I, I know that I... Oh, we said during the election. Yeah. We well, were going we, to we, break up. Yeah, very early on in November, I think we had talked about breaking up. But we were also like, maybe we're just both... Like, it, it was also a really difficult year politically. Yeah. <laughs> like, overall, just... 
uh, if, if you're on, on the side of left politics, like, it's just been hard to, to really see, you know, just everything happening in America in 2020, whether it's, you know, the failure of our ability to handle COVID or mm-hmm. Trump being president or even Biden becoming president. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just... Uh, so we didn't want to put a breakup on top of that. Yeah. So we were like, let's just wait and was, re-examine it in a month. And... It was an understandably volatile time. Uh, I was. I still don't I, think that was like the right decision. Uh, I mean, I've. I don't know. I, 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 don't regret that decision. That to me, like, yeah, it prolonged things for another th- three weeks or so. I had it, a gut feeling then. I knew. I just knew. I think I, I might have, but I, I was willing to see. Like, is it so bad? Because my anxiety was really fucking high. Yeah. Like. Also, I like legitimately like you, yeah, and like exactly, I was like you. Well, it's hard to find someone who understands mental health stuff like you do. So like, I think we just kind of banded together based on that. Yeah, we were kind of like, okay, the negatives of us trying to see if this works for a few more weeks are pretty minimal, so we might as well like, even if it doesn't, like, it was worth it on the the small chance that it was just. You know, yeah, anxiety related to the election because everyone. Like, what was else would that. we have been doing? You know, exactly. <laughs> like it's not like we had great big things to do. It was November 2020. <laughs> I don't even. But yeah, we only made it I... another few weeks, I think, and and then I think we were just like I think we were just both feeling ultra ultra low and depressed one day, and I, I think what what was it like? I don't know. I think I asked you, like, do you feel any different from when we talked a few weeks ago? And you said no. And I said, neither do I. And, and, mm. and you know, we cried and ended it. Yeah. And uh, it was hard for a while. Um, I think for me, initially, I felt pretty okay. But then it hit me a few weeks later. Well, yeah, because we were breaking up still into quarantine. We, we, yeah. were, we were in, we were going back from. Okay, I have one. We person. went back a phase yeah. during this time. I, I was, I, and and you, we had one person, and we were kind of still able to see other people in the summer. And then it was November, and and you know we had the winter to look forward to, <laughs> the gray Seattle, uh, you know, seasonal affective disorder. Uh, uh, Perfect time to break up. Yeah, we picked yeah. a great time to break up. Uh, um, and and that affected both of us, and I mean it was affecting us in the you know october and september yeah. as well and we you know that was part of what what made things not work in the first place i remember like i went the day we broke up i i took the bus from your place i went to connor's house and just told him what happened i was sitting on the couch with my cat and i just like felt weirdly at peace and mm. i remember thinking oh this isn't too bad i think we'd made the right decision and then a few weeks later the shit hit the fan, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna die alone." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I remember like, listening to your podcast. The you you eventually released, I think, a tape for, uh, like a, a audio journal from that time. And I think you said exactly that. Yeah, um, yeah, I think yeah, it was the Bulimia Diaries mm-hmm. episode 41. If you want to go listen, self plug. Um, how did you like? Oh, well, I don't know. We we didn't talk for a while. I mean, we we talked. We, we just. Uh, I've never like we never cut each other out. No, and, we never. We we saw each other every now and then. Yeah. Just checking in. Yeah, and like I'm friends with your friends. And, yeah, there was um, no never any bad blood. I yeah, never felt and which like any, either you did anything wrong. It, can just, I just say, you have a really special group of people in your life. Like, your friends have been nothing but kind to me. 
just from meeting me and then like when we broke up a few people like messaged me to see if i was okay and Mm -hmm. like they stayed friends with me and i've hung out with some of them yeah like wow that's really hard to find, especially in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, especially mean, since you met them all. It's a bar. You met them the, all at a bar, a and I don't. Them, yeah. I don't even drink. Like you know, and and I, I think <sighs> having like that wasn't. I, I've lived in Seattle, or the its adjacent suburbs, on and off for twenty years, and and yeah, it's really fucking hard to find a, a friend group that you really vibe with or whatever, and and. I think it really, I really haven't, hadn't had it that long when COVID hit and that was part of what I really hurt. You know, yeah. I, I remember when I had that first bizarre sobbing spell in, in the middle oh, of Oh, you should talk about that. It was a summer day. We had gotten a chance to, to go to my favorite bar, the rendezvous and hang out with people that we hadn't seen all of pandemic and see a handful of them, even though we had to, you know, stay seated exactly in the seat you're in because, you know, we cared I cared about the people who worked there, so we weren't going to break the rules of the bar. But yeah. either, we were still in a phase where it was very specific about what where you could sit and how many people to a table. And mm-hmm. we, maybe I mean, fortunately, I had patios, but it was and it was summer. But um, I remember we we came home that day, and I uh, I think I had been off my antidepressants for a couple yeah. of days because I knew I was going to be drinking, and it hadn't been it, it, it had been a while since I drank, and I didn't want that to like black out from you know, a lack of alcohol tolerance and, and the mix of my, my medication. Was that the night we hotboxed the bathroom? Maybe. I, I don't know. That's It's possible. I, can't, I don't think so. Okay. Because eh, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember which specific night it was, but it, what happened was, like, I I think this, this was around the time of the wildfires. Yeah. And Vida, Oregon, this tiny little town where my grandparents had lived at one point pretty much burned completely to the ground uh, in the wildfires or a huge huge chunk of it did and I remember I got caught on just like a thought a memory uh, from there like while I was attempting to fall asleep and some combination of that and the the grief from not seeing my friends uh, this this feeling all of it built up and me being off my medication so I was able to drink like all of that combined I just I, I think I woke up in the middle of the night loudly sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> like I woke you up, uh, I, I think. And, that was and intense. Like I, nothing like that had ever happened to me before, you know? I, I didn't I, know how to help. I've, I I've couldn't help. Gone off my depress my every now and then I've gone off my antidepressants because I know like oh this day might be a heavy drinking day. I know my antidepressant and alcohol don't mix so well. It's not the smartest thing in the world to handle your your meds like that, but. It's something that has worked for me in the past, but I've never had a, a like, oh, looks like you've been holding all of this grief in. Here's the time to release it. And I think it was seeing my friends and getting caught on this weird memory and, and having yeah. it loop around in my brain, just bouncing around, lack, fully lacking serotonin. And, and yeah, I, I, I you wrote You I'm, wrote an essay about it afterwards. Yeah, I, I, I jotted down a whole bunch of stuff on, on I think it's on Medium. I, I'll I, link your stuff in the show notes. Sure, cool. Um, but, um... Yeah, that was intense. Yeah, yeah, and I've only had that happen one time since, and it was different, but... Uh, I mean, you can talk about it if you want. Yeah, well, like, I mean, it's... this one, like, I kept to myself. I did not... I The, the new person I'm dating, I did not wake her up very deliberately because I didn't want to... I was... I had had a really good day, 
and I got I had a really good weekend, honestly, and I had taken off my antidepressants again so that I could drink during the weekend. It was after being vaccinated, I, I think one of the first times I'd been able to to go out with my my uh, new girlfriend unvaccinated, her meeting my friends, and I just had a really good weekend, and I laid down in bed and she fell asleep, and I could not stop thinking about is Christina doing okay? I, I, and I bet she's not. And I'm terrified of that. And I started thinking uh, this specific thought of my, my sister, or I mean, your, your sister and I are friends on Facebook. Yeah. And I imagined in my head, your sister posting, you know, a Christina's in heaven now, Facebook status. And I, I imagine just, I don't know, like, knowing how bad things have been for you with bulimia, I think I had, this was uh, after uh, you'd been through rehab and after the relapse and and into like I'd listened to your bulimia diaries and and I I'd, I knew things I'd listened to them re- relatively recently by by then and I knew things weren't going amazing for you and I just like I started quietly sobbing so I wouldn't wake up my new girlfriend and have to explain to her why I was crying about my ex-girlfriend <laughs> I, we, we were it was things were too new I was not ready to like try yeah. to explain that while I was crying so I went into the other room <laughs> with my cat and I just laid down with him and sobbed for a while and then I you know called up Christina I think the next day because I was like I need, yeah, I need to make was... sure she's at least a little bit okay I think that was the f- <laughs> no was that the first time we talked no no no, no, no definitely not but yeah, it was nice to hear from you. And I, I just remember, I still feel like sometimes when you have a mental illness, you, you feel like it doesn't affect anyone outside of you. At least for me, it's hard to realize that it affects other people. So to hear that from you really was really sobering. And actually, I have a story to tell you about my mom. Um, I might cut this out, but like I was talking to my mom on the phone yesterday and telling her that I was struggling and I was saying that oh my eating disorder just wants me to lose weight so I can be you know skinny at my brother's wedding in August and then my mom was like no you can't lose weight because then you're gonna steal attention from your brother people are gonna be looking at you she said that and then she went on to tell me that two years ago when I was at my lowest weight everyone was talking about me behind my back and no one said anything to me. She was like, yeah, everyone was saying things to me. Random people on Facebook were saying things to me. And like, how am I supposed to respond to that? Yeah, that's... It was so heavy. That is heavy. But but can can I ask you, like, I know that you've kind of told me before that the, the, the way your bulimia works is externalizing how you feel on the inside and intentionally, well not entirely intentionally but but in part using that to show how sick and how hurt you are to your parents and you've you've told yeah. me that your bulimia has has put the thought in your head to get as skinny as possible when you next see your parents so that they'll notice and and we've we've kind of had conversations about that before it's just they do notice people mm-hmm. do notice and also like my life's going pretty good now I don't have anything broken to show except that I, I feel, I don't know. I feel like I'm just broken on the inside. No matter what happens to me, like no matter how good I'm doing, I'll always be broken. That, I'm working on that with my therapist. Yeah. We don't have to talk about that, but pretty normal with mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, that was fucking heavy. Yeah, no, that's a hard thing. And um, for, I mean, especially saying that you know, if especially if she followed that up with saying here everybody was talking about you behind your back, which the point of it is not necessarily to have more people looking at your body, but to have people helping you. The the point is that you, it's a cry for help. Is my understanding yeah. when when you say you want to externalize it and show the hurt, it's because you want help. But the problem is is that your parents and other people have not responded by helping. And, and that's why the, the system itself is broken. The bulimia is not doing what it's supposed to allegedly do. Exactly. And I was just talking to another guest about this, how we, do, we don't develop these disorders for shits and giggles. Like, we develop them for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a way to cope with something. Yeah. I mean, same with you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, your anxiety and stuff. There, it like, stems from very specific instances in a lot of scenarios. I can pinpoint... Oh, that like when I really dig into it, I can often be like, "Oh, it's it's because of that that I have a driving anxiety. It's because you know my mom had seizures when she was driving that that I have have driving anxiety, or that my dad got into a car crash that I have driving anxiety, or that you know the anxiety is best described as the intolerance of uncertainty, and and uh, having nonverbal learning disorder gives you a lot of additional uncertainty when it comes to to social in- interactions and world interactions. You can't visualize even what other things are going to be like in it. Um, I meant to ask you this earlier. Do you have any resources for the non... Non-verbal what's it lear- called? Non-verbal-, non-verbal learning disorder, which is needlessly confusing. It's it's because uh, actually we, people with nonverbal learning disorder, have uh, strong verbal acumen, which is confusing because there's a thing called nonverbal autism, which is the opposite. It means that you don't speak, you're not verbal. But this means no, it's a it's a learning disorder that isn't verbal. It's like, why? Why did we do this? I'm confused, why, right? <laughs> um, but no, uh, so like I have tried to read some books, but there's very little. Like, what about that, online communities? Uh, I've I've looked into a little bit of that. I've followed some some Twitter accounts, but even they, they're all very small, like very small. I've seen. I'm I'm blown away when I I am able to read like an articulate. Uh, blog post uh, about it because like it's so rare and there 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 are quite a few books actually about raising kids uh, who have nonverbal learning disorder now Mm. that that does exist there's there's quite a bit of resources for teachers educators and parents but there's almost no resources for adults living with it and and I've scoured and and read some garbage books Mm. in my attempt to to find uh, something like that and it it's it doesn't really to my knowledge there's doesn't really exist what are the main symptoms to look out for like very noticeable is early on stuff like childhood things like that they aren't able to complete tasks in the same way that similar aged peers are able to and it's it's not that they're having necessarily having trouble in school but they're probably having trouble with handwriting they're probably having trouble with with mechanical tasks tying their shoes riding bikes it's really common for them to have to struggle with math, but it's not always one size fits all. Yeah, of course. Just as autism is a spectrum, and and I've heard that nonverbal learning disorder may be in the ballpark of that contains that spectrum. Yeah, sorry, that was a hard question to ask you. Yeah, there's there's, um, there's a lot to it. There, there yeah, um, there are a lot of different ways that it can present itself, but it, and it What's, isn't super noticeable necessarily. What has been most helpful for you in in I mean, confronting it, if not if not treating it, just like I, handling it. I've only known about it for a few years, but it at least I don't know that I've I've learned how to combat the the problems that that I encounter because of it. But I have 
started on the path toward accepting it uh, because at least I know, oh my God, like this isn't, I'm not just stupid. There are reasons why I haven't been able to figure out some of these things that, that have come so easily to everybody I've always known that I felt so insecure about. I, I yeah. was looking around at peers who were, who were able to cook or, or do yoga or I don't know, just watch a, a, a YouTube video on how to tie a tie and follow it. Like th things like really normal things that I, I, people take for granted because I see it and I can't do it at all. And I've long felt very insecure about it. And at least knowing there's a, a reason behind it, there's an actual thing like yeah. that I'm I, I don't know necessarily the word neurodivergent, neurodiverse. Yeah, we've used that term words, on the podcast but, before. Yeah, I um, like it. But that's my understanding is it's in that ballpark and, and understand learning that, that that I'm not only mentally ill, but also neurodivergent. Uh, yeah. It at least helps me understand, okay, there are reasons for what what areas are my weaknesses. And it may not be in my best interest to, like, work really, really hard on trying to become a sous chef, for instance, you know? <laughs> like, that wouldn't... That's like, random. I mean, I just, like, like, uh, certain... Or, or like, there, there are things that I don't have to feel so bad about, like, oh, you know what? Maybe it's just okay that I, I can't do this. I don't know, somebody with dyscalculia is probably like you know what i'm probably not going to be a, a or a, a, an accountant or you know i was talking to the last guest about that well i haven't published it yet if you're listening to this it's going to come out next week but we were talking about acceptance and the role of acceptance mm. and the difficulty of acceptance yeah and my, my current therapist is an acceptance and commitment therapist kind of deliberately sought out someone that wasn't a, a cbt therapist because i've seen a few of those before and I like things about it but I know it's not be all end all and it's good to learn about other therapies because there's a reason lots of them exist it's because brains are really different like like how I'm talking about there are people who can like, like myself who can't visualize things there are people who can visualize in incredible detail and yeah. there are some people who can see colors when they think of numbers and and there's there's so many there, different there people of, out there that's yeah. why everyone's so different and it's so important for everyone to just like focus on your strengths and like collaborate with others with different strengths and, and, like, and it's also why it's useful to to be well versed in possibilities for for treatment to hmm, if, what do you mean you, by that by uh not limiting yourself to one type of of handling of, of dealing with with the adversity that you've you've dealt with and that's that's why I was like well I've read a lot about CBT and for a long time I thought cognitive and behavioral therapy was the way to go it's the only thing for me and as I started to learn that a, a little bit more about other types of therapy and realizing how many different uh, uh, schools of therapy there are and how they apply differently and work with different levels of efficacy for different types of people I, I kind of wanted to open myself up and be like, maybe it would be useful for me to know more about a lot of different therapies. Because mm. if you know a lot, like you, if you know about these things, you can maybe find the thing that helps you more than something that may have been placed in front of you or that you'd stumbled upon yourself early on in your life, early on in your mental health journey and decided, OK, this is the way to go. Because it's really easy to find something that works a little bit. And, and be like, OK, I'm gung ho. Like, let's go with that. The whole time you were talking about this, I was thinking of religion. Interesting. And how we are not taught about different religions, at least mm. in my childhood. Like a lot of Christians that I know, they don't teach their children about all religions. They just teach that Christianity is the only way. And like that's how I was raised. And we all know we didn't even talk about that on this episode. We could we could talk for hours about it. It's fucked up. Um, 
but I'm not going to subject you all to that right now. You know, looking at that from a religion perspective is interesting. The idea of, of like, you, this is the one way to do it, and, and how that mentality bleeds into so many other mentalities mm-hmm. in your life other than just religion's the one way to do it it's this type of masculinity is the one way to be masculine this type of femininity is the one way to be feminine that's very tied to to american religion christianity in particular and yeah and wouldn't it have been nice had you learned about a whole bunch of religions early on and been able to decide things for yourself or pick and choose things that you liked from each of them and made those work for your that's life that's the and, thing i i am not a spiritual person now at all if if i catch any whiff of spirituality it's like i block it off but there are benefits from being spiritual mm-hmm. i don't know i even talking about it now i'm just like i don't know how i feel about this um do you have anything else to say about that topic before we can move on uh no i guess not <laughs> well because i want to talk about your book and your sure. writing yeah um because i mean you've always been a writer You've yeah, all, you've you've yeah. had stuff published. I, uh, I mean, I'll I've let you say it. Quite literally, always been a writer. I, I, my mom is thinking about moving, and and I have been clearing stuff out of her house to help her with that. And we like in doing so, we stumbled upon like literally the first things I ever wrote, which were I think I was barely four years old, and my mom, she was like a rubber stamp person. She was very crafty and and had loads of rubber stamps. And she would make sort of like little comic books where she would rubber stamp Mickey Mouse doing various things with Mickey Mouse characters and and like castles and crocodiles and, and, and all sorts of things. And I would dictate to her what was happening and what to write down. <laughs> and we found some of those little like these Mickey Mouse little comic books that I wrote when I was wrote, quote unquote, yeah. when I was four years old you had a ghostwriter and and, and alongside that like it was with all of everything I'd ever been writing like when I was a kid that I'd printed out anyway and and uh, still something I do today um so for the last few years you've been like trying to get some stuff published you're constantly submitting to publications yeah I um and all short form right generally short form fiction I uh non-fiction non-fiction my bad yeah I um yeah, I, I, I write for a living, uh, but I work in marketing uh, as a copywriter, and I've done that for 10 years. And only the past few years, I started going to literary open mics in Seattle, and that kind of inspired me. Okay, well, what if I write... Like, I like the idea of doing this. I, I, I would like to read something. What if I started writing something on the shorter side? And I had kind of abandoned writing creatively for a while at the time, and, and that got me like trying to write something I could read in the five minutes they give you. And that led to me kind of writing more and more of those and deciding to work harder on them and learning about submissions and, and, and where to do that. And from there I got uh, a couple things published and that's kind of inspired me to keep going forward with my creative writing again in a way that, that I, I think I paused for a while uh, on account of creatively when you write for a living. Yes. Uh, I I just accepted a copywriting job myself, and I'm just like... Airhorn. Airhorn again. Um, But anyway, you started undertaking this new project, uh, I think shortly before we broke up. It was originally supposed to be some, uh, what, sci-fi? Yeah, you know, I I had wanted... I'd started outlining a a book, um, a a sci-fi time travel book. It's something I still would like to write at some point. 
Um, but as I was kind of outlining that, I was jotting down ideas for, for short pieces as well, and I decided that to get into the practice of, of uh, um, being ready to write for this new sci-fi thing that I wanted to do, I'd try a little bit more writing um, from the stuff I already knew how to do, just to get the juices flowing. And then that kind of turned into a bigger and bigger and bigger project, and now I'm working on a memoir. Um, so it'll... you've been really delving into your family in a way I don't know you have before. Yeah. It's it, been emotional. Yeah, because everything I'm writing is it's creative nonfiction, but it's all it's it's a memoir specifically about anxiety and intergenerational trauma and how the feedback loop uh, uh, of anxiety through intergenerational trauma uh just the, the, the things that our parents and grandparents and ancestors and relatives pass down and pass on to us and examining things like why I am anxious and why my parents were anxious and why their parents were anxious and how that anxiety affects uh, affected people in my family and, and in my own life. So I'm just kind of exploring things through through that lens, writing a lot of, I guess, memoir and essay form. It's a lot of kind of separate essays that talk about i've read anxiety. some of them and they're very good thank you yeah you're you're great i'm excited for it to be well finished but that <laughs> yeah, sounds like too. pressure <laughs> um it's, it'll be a while I'm you know what i mean i'm glad you were working on it yeah yeah it's like at least you're trying like i've been trying to write something for years i just like you took the leap it's it's hard and it, you're it, trying just like anything there are setbacks you know progress doesn't happen in a straight line whether it's writing or recovery you know mm. like, like and and even like right now like I've been kind of depressed lately uh mm. you know my my depression's very tripartite uh, I've I've learned you know very it's, what it there's three it's it comes in three parts there, there's three versions I've of never it. heard that word before what like, is it tripartite it means three that's parts. a ten dollar word right I there guess. I'm an English major <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally right um but so so yeah, I, I have what I call well. There's the self hatred, there's the irritability, and there's the malaise. I'm currently in the malaise. It's the part where like you don't really want to do the stuff that you normally do. Been smoking a ton of weed, not writing, binge watching TV, doing nothing but playing video games. It's, Sounds familiar. Yeah, it's I've been in this place before. It was I think accompanied with self hatred at certain times. It, sometimes one leads into the other, but yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's I've I've kind of been in that, and that's normal for me. My depression, I, I'm trying to be okay with the fact that my depression works in cycles. And why I was saying, you know, journeys aren't, uh, you know, just a, a one-way street of progress. Uh, you know, there there are setbacks. Sometimes you have a month where you can't write. Sometimes you you fall back on the promise that you made to yourself, and that's okay. And that's part of you know the acceptance and commitment therapy that I'm working on with my therapist is to just be okay with that and to still feel like. My, my, my therapist talks to me about even if I don't ever finish that book, I, it's still important for me to think that I'm enough, whether or not I finish some great book or not, even if that's the thing you've thought you were always going to do. It's more important to feel like you are enough no matter what. Mm. You know, this is some, a goal of mine. I do hope to, to finish it, and I've put a lot of work into it thus far already. It's just got a lot more work to do, and right now I've been, you know, been depressed and also... Rightly We're in a so. weird time we of are. coming out of COVID. And, it's exhausting. And I have spent more waves. time with people <laughs> in the yeah. last few weeks 
than I have all last year. Yeah, and, and I'm and fucking you get exhausted. Burned out and I literally wanna... burned out. Seattle was it was 108 degrees yeah. a few days ago. What is happening? Yeah, and I, I've just um, wanted to stay home a lot and and just get high and do nothing because like I didn't I before COVID I had thought like okay I'm never going to turn down plans I want to do everything yeah I'd be seeking everything out and then I did a lot of that I did get that for a few weeks and I was just like I need to not for a bit and <laughs> you that actually is a great segue into what I wanted to ask lastly which is like what did you learn in our relationship and for me I have this very vivid memory I was like sitting on the toilet in your bathroom just so depressed I couldn't even move and I walked into the other room and like you were like it'll pass and you said it so calmly and so self-assuredly, like, I believed you. And I'm so fucking bad at waiting things out. Like, my urges, I, I give in to them pretty early on. And so that was so revolutionary to me to, like, just you see you because you have been depressed your whole life. And, like, you were promising me, like, it does get better. You just have to wait it out. Yeah. And I do strongly believe that. And I would highly recommend anybody read The Noonday Demon by Andrew Solomon, which is what a big thing that really helped me internalize that belief. It's the best book on depression I've ever read. Um, and it, it talks it talks a lot about it. Yeah, like it's it is a cyclical thing, the way that it works. And it always passes if you let it. And if you of, let it. And, and that's. That's the hard part. Yeah, like it, sometimes it, you, there's not a whole lot that you can actually do, it, but it will pass no matter what. The Nobody is permanently in a depressed state. That's why it's called a depressed state. It's not a permanent, it's a state of being. Yeah. You know, it, it's not. Well, it's like, uh, you know, one of my guests before, she was like, I am not my depression. I have depression. Yeah. But, and I tend to think in black and white, like, I am my eating disorder. Like, I, I think I tweeted yesterday something like to that effect. Like, I'm so sick of my eating disorder being the only thing that defines me. And I don't know where I was going with that. Well, uh, I guess you're, you're asking, what did I learn in our Yeah, in, in our, our thing. <laughs> and I mean, I learned... I, I, I've, I, I definitely learned, you know, more about you can't force someone into helping themselves. It, it, that's, it's a lesson I lear have learned the hard way a lot of times. Yeah. But, you know, I, I really wanted you to be getting help in a way that made sense to me and in a way that was probably not entirely fair for, you know, the time that we were living in and, and just your current state of, of mind at the time. But... Uh, it's also important to, to recognize when you can't, the, the person needs to get there on their own. And you, yeah. you, like, I think that's something that I did feel that uh, I was kind of more a place for you to distract from your eating disorder for a weekend or. or... And I, I'm cringing when I hear that because I literally, I told, I mean, I know it, it's not it's all true. That. And, and, it's something and, and, I have said. I and I also don't think that it's that it's a bad thing to have places where you feel safe either, especially at times of severity and crisis. Like but that's a lot in. of pressure for you. But yeah, and and it's I don't know. It's uh, important for I think I don't know. It, it it was a scenario where I 
I lost my train of thought. So give me a minute. <laughs> it's hot in here. Yeah, it is. I it have is to close the windows when I record because of the noise. <laughs> sure. And um, yeah, it's hot. I I lit candles earlier because my cat, my apartment smells like cat piss, and I wanted to cloak it. And um, it yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it, you. Basically, you can't force somebody into helping themselves. You can't make somebody want to help themselves in a specific way and you also don't have to necessarily sit around and watch a person that you're caring about hurt themselves you know yeah like sometimes what what when i i brought up the the distraction thing mainly because i felt like i was a distraction from what you actually needed which was not a distraction from your eating disorder but i felt like i was also a distraction from getting better Hmm. and being able to really sit and think and work on your eating disorder and I think you did make like things were hard but you did make progress and have made progress and even if and like I said progress is not a direct straight line but you yeah. have you have made progress whether or not you think it thank you I know I have it just doesn't feel like it sometimes sure and, and but I, I and I also think that the progress you have made in the way that you made it I don't think you would have been able to do so with if you were still with me yeah that's that's a hard truth but there it is and yeah I'm just really happy we're still friends and like you've been very supportive of me throughout my treatment journey there was that word again journey yeah I mean yeah I really value your your friendship and you know I'm I want to see you happy me too (laughs) I really do I think it's possible it is possible some like it this it's gonna get worse before it gets better i think well the thing is everything's gonna get worse and everything's gonna get better because like i said you know stuff passes it's cyclical you know there's gonna be worse and there's gonna be better in the future there's always is i can't think of a better way to end it than there (laughs) can you tell uh my listeners how to stalk you yeah um you can find me most commonly i talk about like writing stuff and also rant about leftist politics sometimes on my uh, Twitter account, AJ Stevens Writes. That's Stevens with a V, W R I T E S. Yeah, and you can read his work. Yeah, my, my work's, uh, you can find it uh, in uh, online at the, the Bookends Review. You have a website, right? Uh, I've got a link tree. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Go, <laughs> just look me up on Twitter, click on the little link tree button, and then you can read all the stuff I've written written and i'll probably put this podcast on that too because i can tell i can tell that you work in marketing (laughs) right (laughs) um thank you so much of course i'm gonna give you a hug oh thank you of course i'm happy to be here all right all right guys um catch you later bye say goodbye air horn Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.